I was uh, waxing a little nostalgic this week. Because last year on this weekend, if you remember, we celebrated our church's 50th anniversary. And so I watched the service, which was a lot of fun. We have a recording of the service. And I thought just as, just as kind of one of those take you back things, we're going to, some people put together a slideshow that we showed during service. We're going to show a bit of it. It's like 13 and a half minutes long. I don't want to give up that much time. But we'll show some of it just to, to remind you. So guys, whenever you're ready. kind of goes on like that for a while. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll fade that out. Hey, by the way, in case you're interested, I actually have copies if you'd like one. I can maybe make you one or whatever. But that, it's just, just great, big, happy fun. How many of you are here for that weekend? Remember that? Okay, good. Here's a better thing. How many of you were not here for that weekend? Okay, interesting. Why do I ask that question, huh? Because one of the things that, that is easy to do in church world and one of the things that we do quite naturally is to look back a lot, to look at the past. Now, certainly, past is a wonderful thing, and, and the victories of the past are great, but it's easy to get so trapped in that that you miss some of the things that God wants to do going forward. Do you realize how much change, how fast things change in our world? used to be, not so long ago, that uh, change sort of had a manageable pace. But as technology has increased, change is turning over more and more and more all the time. And so we as the church need to be aware of that and need to look forward to how God might use us in the future. And so today, it's part sermon and part just conversation about some things that are kind of batting around in my head as we look to the future, a year removed from what was just a wonderful weekend of celebrating. I want to start by dovetailing or, or connecting us to last week. If you remember last week, we showed several graphics. As we move further and further and further away, my favorite was the first one. I Just to connect us to that was this. You are here. We talked a lot last week about how small we are in comparison to the greatness of our God and to the size of our galaxy, one among so many other galaxies. And our solar system, if you remember we said, was if you did a, a picture of the Milky Way, the size of the North American continent, our solar system, the appropriate scale would be a quarter on the North American continent. That's how small our little solar system is. And that's not even the reality that how big our solar system is compared to us here on this, as you remember, pale blue dot, or this uh, pale blue dot suspended in a sunbeam, as Carl Sagan said. Next picture is this pale blue dot. That's us. Isn't it a lovely thing? I think that's North America there, if I'm not mistaken, toward the top of it. Does anybody know how many people live on that pale blue dot? It's not an obscure statistic, right? Isn't it a little over 7 billion? Am I right? that a few years old. Seven billion people. That's a lot of people. Lots of people that live on our, on our world. Now, if we got a little closer to home and said, what about us here in North America? How many people live in North America? I'm so glad you asked. 
I'm going to check my notes. A little over 350 million. Seven plus billion in the world. And in North America, 350 some odd million. That's not insignificant, but it's interesting to think of our percentage there. If we talk about the U.S. in general, the statistic I have maybe a few years old was about 320 million in the good old U.S. of A. And how about the state of Florida? Does anybody know how many call the Sunshine State home? Too many? Is that what somebody said? Okay. Fair enough. Almost 20 million? Does that sound about right? About 20 million. Now, coming a little closer, our next slide shows us something that you and I may be familiar with. That is our little island chain we call the Florida Keys. Yes, that's us. Wonderful place to live, isn't it? It's going to get crowded over the next few months. That's okay. We like the folks that come back and, and spend their, their time in the winter with us. And if, if I lived in some of the places they lived, I'd come down here too. Can't even imagine. I mean, it's just just incredible the place we live. Okay, here's your next challenge. You ever played where, Where's Waldo? Okay, next slide. The question is, where are you? Hopefully, it'll work. Can you find us on that map? As in First Baptist Church? Does that help? Who, who's got us? Okay, a few of you. If it helps, I'm like, we're right right in the middle. I didn't bring a pointer, but yeah, we're pretty much right. You see where it says Key Largo? I know you can't, right? <laughs> I didn't bring a pointer. There we are. That's the church right there. Isn't that exciting? Hey, nobody's got a pointer. Make me look bad, right? I see how it is. That's us. You and me sitting in this little room, air-conditioned, enjoying ourselves, I hope. Um, Do you know how many people, since we're talking populations, if we were to draw a circle with a 10-mile radius, obviously east and west doesn't matter a whole lot in that picture, but people, north and south primarily, 10-mile radius from our church. About... 13,000, a little less than 13,000 people. We've gone from 7 million to 13,000. You know, 10-mile radius, we're at 99, so we're going down to 89, 109. The further you go north, 109. We're maybe getting sparse north of 106 up there, nonetheless. But about 13,000 people live in our neck of the woods within a 10-mile drive. So more or less, of our church. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Um, obviously, that population, as we've said, varies. Maybe over the next few months, there'll be a few more people around competing for your seat at the restaurant. And that September-October thing we just came out of, you walk right in. No lines, no waiting. Good times. Noodle salad. Right? Exactly. Well, what about those 13,000 people? You know, we, we talk a lot over these last few months about Operation Christmas Child. In fact, in the, the, the brief part of the slideshow we just saw, there were several slides in there with Operation Christmas Child. Of course, who can forget the headgear Mr. Harrelson was wearing? That was my favorite slide. 
Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I didn't remember that was so early on in this live show. But nonetheless, and, and as Marie said, we may not go to Africa, to to some of the places in Asia that are particularly poverty-stricken. We might not go to Haiti or Grenada, but we put these shoeboxes together and go. Now, how many of you have been on a mission trip, just for fun? How many of you have been internationally on a mission trip? A few. Fascinating thing to go on, isn't it? We went um, one year as a church. We went to Uruguay in South America where Heather and Bill were missionaries. Several of you raised your hands and went with us. That was a fascinating trip. Fascinating um, certainly because of the contrast between how we live and how the neighborhood that they worked in lived. If you were with us, you know we went to church there. It was winter, even though it was summer here because they're in South America. See, I learned something in high school. It was cold there, and we went into their church, and we sat on. You remember boards on a cinder block, if I'm not mistaken. That's what we sat on. Now, you've got these nice, comfy blue chairs, don't you? They're nice. They must be. I see all you sleeping on Sundays, but that's beside the point. No, no, no. And and this group of of believers in South America in very poor conditions, no heating in that building. It was a cinder block building. It was cold in there for us uh, South Florida folks. Sitting on wood on cinder blocks, they were as excited as you could imagine to go to that building and do the things they did on that day. It was really remarkable. It was a, a reminder to us how how fortunate we are. And I could probably, were we to put together a mission trip, like to South America, or a few years ago we went to Guatemala for a, a children's home trip. Um, we've, if we were to talk about, hey, let's go to, to Haiti, or let's go to some of these places, I bet we could get a crowd. I bet we could get some people pretty excited. Maybe to, to see another part of the world, sure. Um, but also, the idea that we could go help people in another part of the world by doing the things that, that we take for granted that might make such a huge difference in their lives. But today, I don't, I don't want to talk about the, the seven billion on the face of this earth. I don't want to talk about those who are in poverty or, or in, in war-torn areas or subject to famine and other things. I want to talk about the 13,000 or so that live in this 10-mile radius of good old First Baptist Church of Key Largo. Jesus told us something pretty significant when he gave us what we call the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Um, The Bible records the words of Jesus, and I think they're going to pop up on the screen here. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We could camp out there for a long, long time. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does all mean? All means all. I don't have a Hebrew or Greek word to impress you with today. I'm just going to go with good old-fashioned English. All means all. How much authority does Jesus say he has? All. How much authority does he have in heaven? We like that part, don't we? Heaven is 
that place that we talk about, look forward to if we're believers in Jesus. We, we describe it in some remarkable ways. The Bible depicts it in some remarkable ways. Probably the most notable being the main street is paved with gold. The size of that city, 1,400 miles cubed. The pictures of no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. All the stuff that you and I know every day of our lives done away with. I am thrilled that Jesus has all authority in heaven. I look forward to the time when I will be there with him. And all the stuff that I don't like in life, all of those things we just mentioned are over with. Those are great things. But you know where we have a little more trouble? How much authority does Jesus have on earth? All. Does all mean all? All means all. All authority on earth has been given to me. That's a little stickier for us. What does that mean that Jesus has all authority? Here's my simple definition of what it means. He can tell you what to be. Somebody has authority, they the boss. They say, you do. Period. Right? Exactly. Sometimes, there's always a rebel. The person is the authority. How it's supposed to work is they get to make the rules, they get to set the agenda, they get to say, this is what I want you to do. And we, who are under their authority, are supposed to do it. Now, sometimes it's true, because if you're anything like me, I don't always do what the boss says. And just for the record, I'm not talking about Denise right now. Still on God. I sometimes know that he says do this, and I don't do that. And I know sometimes he says don't do that, and I do that. But I have to grapple with that reality that Jesus begins what we call the Great Commission with. Often we jump to the next verse, and we'll get there in a minute, but but that's a pretty good thing. To remember that everything that follows about what he's about to say comes out of the fact that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite preacher types, Francis Chan, this week, um, and he was asked uh, a moral question. It's probably one of the stickier moral questions of our day. And, and I loved his answer because he framed the debate differently than we typically would. When asked about homosexuality and, and same-sex marriage, talked about, you know, we would normally know, here's how we talk about things. But I love how he addressed the issue. I want to get it right. He said, I don't think when we talk about these things, the issue is really about sexuality. It's about submission. Oh, that's a fun word, isn't it? In fact, he says, for me, the core issue is this. If I disagree with God on an issue, will I still obey him? And then he began to talk about himself. What if God said... He's from Asian heritage. He said, what if God said Asians have to walk on their hands, stand on their heads all the time? What what am I supposed to do? I don't like that. I'm not very good at it, he might say. I can't do that naturally. It's not easy for me. 
But he said, I want to be the kind of person that when God says, I'm supposed to walk on my hands, I try. I move that direction. I start acting in compliance with what God says. If he's the creator and we're the creation, if he has all authority, then I need to submit to that. And the real issue about anything is no matter what God says, will you do it? And then we can talk about the specifics. Then we can talk about what it is in my life that that I sort of bristle against. And I like how he, he answered that question because, really, it makes sense. He summed up his talk by saying this. You know, the whole Christian life is a lot about not doing the things you want to do. So let's be honest. You ready for honesty in church? Is that okay? Yeah, no, it's shocking. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Anything. Do you think naturally? you would gravitate toward the right thing. The moral thing, let's say. The thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Oh, let's just put a pile of one billion dollars on the stage. Say, whatever you can get out of here with is yours to keep. Go. What does it look like for the next few minutes? Does it look like the offering did? Is there a little chaos that begins to, I would guess, let's say that was real. The first step would be kind of a evaluating, is he serious? There would be maybe some looking around. Is anybody else moving? I don't know if I want to be the first person to move in at church after all. But if somebody else goes, I'm going for it. And then you begin to think, well, okay, if I get it, how do I get out of here? There are a lot of doors in this place i got to get to the door quickly because there's people in here that are coming after it and me. Who am I faster than? Who can I beat out? How can I, who, who can I run and get and out before they can catch me? Would it happen? Something like that might happen. You got bills, right? Needs, things that a few extra dollars in your pocket you weren't counting on would be really nice. How far would you go? Maybe at first it'd be orderly, but then somebody pushes you because it's a billion dollars. It's a billion dollars. You're like, that's a lot of money. We could just split it up between us evenly and save a lot of trouble. It's not as good of an illustration. Somebody pushes you, you get bumped. Maybe accidentally for all you know, but suddenly you're a little, hmm. You're a little on defensive. You're a little more aggressive. You push back. Maybe the person that pushed you, maybe not. Maybe decide how soon do I want to make my exit? How much is enough? That might be a question somewhere along the way. I mean, I could get a couple of handfuls, but for Pete's sake, let's do the math. 
125 people, a billion dollars. There's a lot of cash up there. My name on it. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before we get to the Great Commission, before we get to what comes next, we have to grapple with, are we okay with that? Can we abide by that? Will we submit to that? Submit to Him? Because without that, what comes next just sort of hangs out there. Because if Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, He can go on and finish the Great Commission. In the next verse, how did He tell us or give us the Great Commission? He goes on and says, therefore. Why does He say, therefore? Because what he's about to say is based on what he just said. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, I'm going to give you an assignment. Now, the, the money example, maybe a little too personal, but I would guess this one is also tough too. Because I think part of what's implicit in this is Jesus saying, since all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, I'm giving you some instructions. I'm giving you some direction. I'm giving you commandments, we might even say. And the question is, will we take him at his word? Will we act as if he has the right to give us these instructions, these commands, these directions? And he says, that is where I'm coming from. Therefore... And here's where the English sort of messes up a little bit. Do you like grammar? We did grammar a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. It went over like a ton of bricks, let me tell you. It was Participles and gerunds and nouns and verbs and verbals. It was great fun. Are your eyes glazing over yet? There's one verb in this sentence in Greek. Just one. Greek is a fun language. doesn't work like English in lots of ways. And so whenever we take Greek and put it in English, we're making interpretive decisions just to translate it. But there's only one main verb in this sentence. It is uh, in the imperative mood, which is sort of a, an indicator of a commandment. It's what you would say to your kids, clean up your room. That's imperative or optional, depending on your house. Um, but when Jesus says it, because all authority has been given to him, he can make an imperative of command, and we're supposed to do it. The main verb in this verse is not the one that the English puts first. You would think, by reading this sentence, there are two main verbs, and the two main verbs are go and make disciples. Go is not a verb in this sentence at all. It's actually a participle. Who would like to come up and explain what a participle is? I'm just kidding. Nobody. I get it. But it's a participle. The main verb is make disciples. So the commandment from Jesus in the Great Commission is to make disciples. Since all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore I give you this commandment, I give you this instruction, make disciples. Everything else is like a modifying idea to how we should make disciples. In fact, most of the participles in this verse and the next one are translated in a sense properly. Most part, a lot of participles end in ing. For instance, you see the one 
baptizing. Well, go is a participle, so it should also be put that same way, going. So Jesus says, here's your commandment. Because I have all authority, make disciples. How are you going to do it? Well, you're going to do it going. You're going to do it baptizing. The next verse tells us you're going to do it teaching. And I like the last part of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You want to know Jesus is with you? Wouldn't that be good information to have? Wouldn't that be a good assurance to have? Wouldn't that be nice to know? I want to know Jesus is with me. God is with me. He's on my side. He's for me. He's working on my behalf. It's almost like we could look at this and say, oh, by the way, one way to know is to be about doing the thing that I, who have all authority on heaven and earth, have instructed you to do. And so when you do the thing, making disciples that I told you to do as the one who has the authority, you can be sure that I am with you. Want to be sure God is with you? Make disciples. How do you do it? You do it as you go, or going. I like church. Big surprise, right? Sort of a profession. Church is great. I also like football. Have I mentioned that ever? Probably. I love football. Watch too much of it. Um, I'm obligated to say, since Renee is here, roll tide. Um, There are some Florida State fans here. We'll pretend like nothing happened yesterday. Not a good ending, nonetheless. I didn't see that one. Sorry. Okay, so I love football. Here's here's the example. I'm going to equate church to football. Are you excited? Half of you are like, really, again? No, it it might work this time. Church and football. When you're watching football, something happens regularly in the game. The team, whether the offense or the defense, gets together in what's affectionately known of as a huddle. And in that huddle, through the miracle of modern technology – to the, the captain of the offense, typically the quarterback, or the captain of the defense with radio equipment in their helmets has transmitted a play, which they then tell everybody else in the huddle, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this play. Break. And they go to the line of scrimmage. And the quarterback at some point says the magic words, usually Omaha if you're Peyton Manning. The ball is hiked, the play starts, and everybody on the offense knows what to do because in the huddle, they were told this is the play. And everybody on the defense knows what to do because in the huddle, they were told this is the play. And they hopefully execute it well. It's a run, it's a pass, the blocking scheme is right. There's a completion, maybe even a touchdown if you're the offense, or a turnover if you're the defense. Everything goes perfectly. Welcome to the huddle. That's what this is. As Christians, we're in the huddle. I wish I could say I came up with this. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. We're in the huddle. What do you get in the huddle for on the football field? To learn what's coming next. To get the play. So you know when you go and execute the play, you know what to do. 
Isn't that a great analogy? Or is that just a great football fan analogy? For church, that's what we get together. We talk about, hey, here are the instructions. The coach calls the play. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And I'm with you always. You're like, okay, here's the play. And then what do we say? Well, the church word for break is amen. And then we leave. And we go execute the play. And you got a whole week to execute the play. And then we come back together. And we talk about it. Now, maybe not in this context, but hopefully along the way, you get together with people where you talk about how the play went. Hey, this is what we, this is what worked, this is what did, this is my frustration, this is my, my struggle. Oh, well, here's what I've learned and all that sort of thing. And then we talk about, okay, you know, how, can we, how can we do the play better? And we go, now imagine if you were watching a football game this afternoon, which none of you are because you're all going to be on the beach at Penny Camp. But just pretend you DVR'd three or four of them. I don't know anybody who would do that, but you might. And you got back from penny camp, and you're sitting in front of your television, and you push play. And for three hours, you saw your favorite team never get out of the huddle. Wouldn't that be exciting? It's also called a Buccaneers game, but that's another story. That's what they did. Oh, well, we're back from commercial, and it looks like the Bucks are in a huddle. Are they ever going to get out of the huddle? I don't think so. They seem to really like each other in the huddle. They're talking a lot in there. There's a lot of excitement there. They seem to be really excited about what the play could be should they ever break the huddle. Time for commercial. We're back from commercial. We find the Buccaneers are still in the huddle. They've had 47 delay of game penalties in a row. They have lost more yards than ever, even in their lousy history, but they're still in the huddle. Let's go to our sideline reporter and find out what's going on. Well, I'm down here with the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I've asked him a question, but he won't answer it because he's in the doggone huddle. Back to you. Mm, Thrill a minute. That's why they get billions of dollars and great ratings. We don't watch the football game for the huddles. We watch it for what happens on the field, for the plays. And not saying this is a great analogy, but if God is the football fan and we are his team, what kind of game is he watching us play? watching us in our huddle a lot. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is what I'm telling you to do. Make disciples. Go and baptize and teach. And when you do that, I'll promise you, I'm with you. To the very end of the age. 13,000 people statistics tell us almost 9 out of 10 people in that 13,000 that are in a 10 mile radius of our church almost 9 out of 10 are lost or unchurched don't know God don't have a relationship with his people which makes sense I mean, I know we're not the only church in this 10-mile radius. There are others. What's 10% of 13,000? Is that 1,300? I would say, on a typical Sunday, we probably don't have many more than that. 
in churches up and down that 10-mile radius. I don't know of any mega church in our neck of the woods. The 9 out of 10 people that you know, that you go to school with, that you're in the neighborhood with, that you work with, that you see at the grocery store, wherever else you find yourself, that you sit beside at the restaurants and talk to through your business dealings. Nine out of ten of those don't know God. Don't have a relationship with Him. Which is why Jesus said, Go, make disciples. Baptize them and teach them. And I'll be with you in that. a lot of ideas in my head. Originally, I was going to talk about all the ideas in my head that I'd like to see our church pursue. Uh, aren't you glad we don't have time for that? I'll just throw out 20 or 30 of them for fun. I still have this inkling that we could turn this church around, like literally, physically. Like the stage on that end and the entrance in the breezeway. Just have that picture. I know we had plans and all in the past, not to that scale, I just have that in my head. That would be kind of cool. I have this. Let me do this again. How many of you had never been to our church before November 8th of 2014? Just just for fun. It's quite a, quite a big number. I, I, I was surprised by that, quite frankly. Um, we've had a lot of people in the last couple years that have, have come in and, and some join, some just kind of a part of who we are and, and want to get involved. I have this idea that we should do, I know other churches do this, like periodic get-togethers where we sit down and, and personally, you know, maybe have lunch or dinner with folks that are new to the area or new to the church and just talk about, hey, let me get to know you and let me tell you a little bit about me and, and if you'd like to know anything about our church, I'd love to do that. Just to see if Maybe God might be moving people. I want, I want to do that. And then other things along the way. I'll stop at two. I have a lot more. One of the cool things about the 50th anniversary is we put some pretty lofty goals out there about what we wanted to accomplish. And you guys did it. There was an excitement about that celebration, and there was a lot of activity moving toward that celebration. And it was a highlight of the last several years of our church's life had so much fun that weekend and had so much fun getting ready for that weekend. And I, I don't want us to say, okay, we got through that. What's, we're done. Put my feet up. I think we are privileged, can I say that, to live in the Keys in a place where 90% of the people we run into any given day need to know our God. Jesus said when he looked at that, see, we say that and go, oh, sometimes it's easy to look at it negatively and say, it's, oh, you know, so many people in our, our countries are this and our area is just this. Oh, man, people just come to the Keys for this and that. And it's not, you know, good godly stuff all the time. And you say that thing. And Jesus looked at the Keys. I think he looks at the Keys and says this, the fields are white unto harvest. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Any farmers in the building today? No? 
I grew up on a small farm. You know what happened when the small garden was ripe unto harvest? Mama sent Charles out. Go pick those beans. Go pick those squash. Go pick that okra. Oh, that was the forbidden fruit in the garden. Unconsent. Okra. Had to be. No okra fans here today? I'm going to say I'm, I'm disappointed. I thought I'd get at least an amen out of that. I just got nothing. I had blank stares. Okra. Isn't it really good when it's slimy? Uh-huh. We have digressed. I don't even remember where I was. <laughs> I got lost in okra. Mom sent me out into the garden. That's it. Because it's, it's ready. It's ripe. It's got to be picked. What happens if you don't pick? It's going to rot. It's going to die. That's, that's our community. That's our area. We can look at it one of two ways. One way is a lot of people don't have, want anything to do with God and have all sorts of other pursuits. That's one way to look at it. But I'll choose to side with what Jesus said when he looked at humanity. It's, it's ready. It's ripe for the picking. We just need workers. We just need people out there in the field reaping the harvest. So we get together in the huddle. One, two, three, break. Now we get to go be the workers in God's vineyard, in God's field for God's glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have, through Jesus, done for us what we could not have done for ourselves. That your son walked this earth and lived a sinless life lived in perfect harmony with you. Showed us what it would look like to live the kind of life that you call us to and offer. And then having done that, willingly laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. No one took it from him, but he laid it down. Demonstrating your great love for us. Your great love for this world, for the seven billion plus that inhabit the earth, and for the 13 or so thousand that are our neighbors here. Lord, we started today by singing the great commandment to to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. To serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've looked today at what we call the Great Commission, that place in Matthew where you tell us your desire for us as the one who has all authority to go and to tell others about your love and your grace and your mercy and your salvation. Lord, I pray you would use us to that end, that you would move us out from what is the comfort of our relationships here in this church and 
Use us in our community to penetrate and to impact and to share the hope that we have in you. Lord, I thank you for those in the history of this church who sacrifice so much and who work so hard. And today we are here because of what they did, what they accomplished. And Lord, we don't want to only look back in gratitude, but look forward to what they saw. The difference this church could make here in our community. Use us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name.